to the conversation on Sky Sport where we are marking a very special occasion. It is one year to go until the ICC Women's Cricket World Cup is held right here in New Zealand. And to mark that special occasion, well, we're going to go backwards. We're going to rewind to the time the only New Zealand team that won a World Cup that, well, 21 or coming up 21 years ago, the Women's White Ferns in the year 2000. I've got the captain of that side, Emily Drum, with me in studio. And then coming to us by the wonders of technology in home in Christchurch as well, Katrina Keenan. So great to have you both with, with us. Emily, first of all, does it feel like it was yesterday? There seems to be a lot of reminiscing about that final over recent times. Well, I wouldn't say it feels like yesterday. I definitely feel a lot older than what I felt 20 years ago, but uh, the, the memories are very recent in terms of how I recall them. Um, and that the story does grow a little bit longer and the legend gets a little bit um, bigger and, and greater as we share those stories with our close family again and just memories of a lifetime. We'll never, ever forget them and, and such a grand day for uh, the White Ferns. And for you, Katrina, it, does it come flooding back as we're talking about another World Cup being held in New Zealand? Oh, definitely. And I think, too, with the amount of, you know, women's cricket that we're seeing on television now, I think, you know, you're always, you know, whether rightly or wrongly, you're, you're always making that sort of comparison, wondering, you know, where the great players, the likes of Drummy and um, Debbie Hockley and Catherine Campbell, you, you, you know, and some of the great athletes that we had back playing in the team back in the day, how they would actually, you know, stack up if they were still playing currently. So, yeah, I think the more cricket that's on at the TV, the more opportunity there is to reflect um, it was such a, an amazing, it was an amazing day. It was an amazing result. But for me, like the whole process around it and the lead up to how we got there was, was just really, um, yeah, it was really awesome. Do you remain close, Kat? Do you, do you, are you all still in contact? Is it that sort of bond that kind of forges you all together for a bit? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, cricket is, obviously it's a team sport, but it is also have, have uh, individual elements to it. And I think that's the same as personalities in the team. And, you know, we had a really, uh, you know, wide range of people and, um, and personalities. And I think at times, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to be best friends with people, but there was that com camaraderie and that, that sense of um, there not being a weak link in our squad. So it was about... Um, everyone, you know, doing, leaving no stone unturned, I guess, in terms of our preparation. There was um, respect for everybody because everyone worked so hard. And that's continued on. We still catch up together where we can. We still, um, you know, Drummy and I um, obviously really good friends. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. <laughs> I can imagine some of the stories. And as you say, as the years go on, uh, the, the, they might get a bit of embellishment. But, Emma, you were the captain of, of that side, that World Cup winning side, a tag that you will always have. But can you take us back to going into the tournament um, and the mindset of the team, this tournament that was being held in New Zealand and, and how you felt leading into it? Well, I guess for me personally, I can only talk about my experience. We'd been to a few World Cup finals before. So now on home soil, it was a chance for us to finally get the monkey off the back. We'd, we'd lost a couple um, and leading the side, there was so much determination and just real desire to put in the best we could so as a team. You had a really experienced team, We did. Yeah. It, it was almost for me, I, thinking back, it was either now or never at that time. We had about 60 years worth of playing experience retire at the end of that World Cup. So that was the time for us to shine. And at home in front of our fans, 
the, the groundswell of momentum was really vivid to, to my recollection anyway around the, just the feeling amongst the team that, that New Zealand cricket had supported the World Cup really well and ICC had just started to get into the women's game. So there's lots of things happening that were really proactive around the game and probably the start of where we are now today in terms of ICC's involvement. But for me, just remembering just, just the, the fever of, of us tightly together as a team, working really hard at Lincoln University and, and just getting our way through that tournament just gave us such a good little um, run up to the final and um, we knew that we had to make the final to, make, to have any chance and if we did then anything could happen. <laughs> and it did um, and, and you know, I mean you're a Cantab uh, it was just down the road at, at Lincoln I think all the teams stayed together is that right it was like almost dorm styles. Yeah definitely with the university uh, Lincoln University based out at the facility as well it, it was the perfect location really it's an organizer's dream but um, yeah it was it was just so fantastic and I think we had was it something like was it was it like 8,000 or something I'm, I'm not 100% sure but no, we'll just, I mean it was we can more say people it was we can say it was 10 20 we can we actually can someone will fact check it but you <laughs> there know. were plenty um, it was yeah, it was at capacity, um, and it was just incredible, it, it, you know. And, and the, the game was televised as well on on Sky Sports. So, uh, you know, the just the whole momentum leading into that tournament and New Zealand cricket um, under Chris Doig's leadership had done such an incredible job, you know, marketing uh, the game. And I think we were even like, I mean, we were on the back of a, a big red bus at one point. I think there was a, um, you know, a big poster of the sure. team. And, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was just so many firsts, like signing autographs and just, it was just, you know, it was just crazy. It was amazing. Did you practice your signature? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I actively seeked out people, even if they didn't want my autograph, and be like, sorry, you, can I help? Like, just, yeah, so I, I was the extreme, but, yeah. But you bring up a point and in, in, in you talk about the late Chris Doig. Um, I think Claire had started sponsoring the Black Caps and they came on and sponsored the White Fans. How significant were those steps? And I think Chris Doig basically said, you know, we might take a financial hit, but we're going to suck it up and it's worth, worth us doing it. How important was that to you as players and, and people who had given so much to the game? Well, it... it uh, represented a whole new media uh, profile. I didn't really know anything about media training or anything like that, how to address the media. I was very raw and, and green in, in that um, respect and the profile of the game grew so quickly and fantastic of course but um, th there was a lot of expectation that comes with that too. It wasn't just here you go and, and have fun, it was certainly right, we're going to invest in you and we're going to give you the opportunity to become the best cricketers you can at this point in time. So Chris Doig for me was such a figurehead for this World Cup and he made it happen. So uh, certainly a lot to thank him for. Mm. If we go back, uh, you beat India in the semi-final then, it's Australia in the final. I think it was a couple of days before Christmas, like yes. December 23rd or yes, something. Yeah. So everyone would have been, yeah. yeah, like, you know, reveling in, in a summer and getting into holidays and all of that. So all out for 184, um, batting first and 48 overs. So what's the mentality, particularly if you kept going out to bowl to try and defend that title against a really good Australian team in that final? I think... You know, f women's cricket, I think, back then, um, you know, even though we, we all agreed that we didn't have enough runs on the board or didn't have 
you know, take the opportunities that we, we could have. I think for women's cricket, you know, anything around that 180, 200, 210 um, is, always gives you something um, to aim for or aim at. Um, for me, I'd been so clear with my bowling process probably 18 months out from the World mm. Cup that I was able to go into that final without any anxiety, any what if. Um, I felt really confident in my stock delivery. I knew I could bowl consistently in the channel. I knew I could shake the ball away if conditions were favourable. And so I actually, you know, not, not arrogantly, but confidently, um, you know, got the ball and, and opened the bowling, believing that I could, that I could do it. Edge, and the catch is taken, and that is the big breakthrough that the New Zealanders needed. Just the start the Kiwis were looking for, Katrina Keenan getting one to move away from right-handed Kitely. And as, as the skip, um, obviously had, had faith in her and others though, I think Aussie needed 10 off 11 with one wicket remaining at the end. What's the process then? You've got this 8,000, 10,000-pack crowd at Lincoln wanting to see you that close. So what's the process as, as the captain in those final stages? Um, panic. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the most intense amount of pressure because for me, having lost two World Cup finals, we've got it in the palm of our hand. Mm. I've used all of our best bowlers. This one here went for 19 off 10 overs. I remember it really clearly. And um, I needed my best bowlers to stand up, and they did. Um, there, there's a lot of, I, I guess, digging deep into your experienced crew, like the Debbie Hockley's, Catherine Campbell, and trying to get those big-time players that can stand up and keep cool under pressure, and trying to get everyone working together and, and I was just so lucky to call on the likes of Katrina and, and um, Claire Nicholson at the, right at the end there who was uh, handed the ball, I'm not sure she really wanted it, <laughs> um, it was either her or Hayley Tippin. So we had to make a call and it came down to the fact that we wanted to take the pace off the ball so we didn't want a, a sneaky little edge to go for four. So there's some 50-50 calls, mm -hmm. sometimes they go your way and sometimes they don't. And as it happens, it, it went our way. But there's an enormous discussion right before the last over as to what was going on. Six balls, five needed, one wicket left. Australia, the world champions. New Zealand have lost the last two World Cup finals. What a script. The, the, the three of us, Debbie, myself and Catherine, we all talked about what we should do. I wanted Haiti, and then she said no, and then we, we kind of bounced around, so it probably took an age, and the poor fielding team probably <laughs> thought, what on earth are we doing? But um, we made a decision, we went for it, but I was so determined to get the right field. As it happened, yeah. it didn't matter. We didn't need a, um, need a, a fielder other than the wicketkeeper to yep. take uh, the important catch. A very stressful day. Um, I don't know if Katrina remembers, but I did blow up a little bit at half time and said it, said it is now or never, and, and we give everything. And uh, the months and months of practice, the fitness was really critical. I don't think we would have won that game if we hadn't have been as fit as what we were. Um, and lots of things went our way too. So uh, a relief once it was over, as you can imagine. Do you remember it blowing up? Uh, which time? Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, you know, like, as I said, Drummy's such a dear friend of mine. Um, uh, but, you know, the 
huge respect and quite a different relationship on on the field. Um, so you know, such a great player. So yeah, when when it, when Jummy spoke um, and delivered delivered something, you, you knew um, what the intent was, and that was the same for a lot of the senior players. I think, you know, the senior players really drove the culture and the standard and. Um, you know, I know as a young player coming into that side, you know, you, you wanted to, you know, you wanted to impress them. You've, you were always fighting hard for a place in that playing 11. And then, you know, even if you were bowling, myself as a strike bowler, I like to take the new ball and bowl downwind. But if you started and you're bowling second change and um, into the breeze and batting at a 10 or 11, you, you wanted to make sure that you played your best games. So, they they could not leave you out of the side. But the the other thing I wanted to mention too about the game, because of course there was so many, you know, shifts in momentum throughout that whole game. And Drummy talked about the fitness, and I think that was a huge difference for us to really turn that corner as uh, non-professional players and make that commitment to doing the exceptionally hard work around fitness. I mean, I don't think there was, Drummy, one fitness test, one beep test that I did that I didn't <laughs> throw up um, out at Lincoln um, pretty early on too, which is a bit embarrassing. But, you know, once I made that commitment, you know, we really started to put in some great results. But it was the fielding as well, you know, under Mike Shrimpton, who was just an exceptional um, cricket brain, an exceptional coach, um, you know, fit fielding was a, a big focus for him and we wanted to be you know the best fielding side and you look at the the impact that someone like Helen Watson ET had at that tournament those runouts that she picked up they just changed the game big shout here no looked as though it gone oh that could be close now then David Quest did and the White Ferns are absolutely ecstatic there's Watson near the underarm dive, the halfback pass, and she has got McGregor miles away. I'm getting goosebumps and my heart's pounding listening to you guys reminisce about this and, and, and remembering what that was like. Um, for you to be able to... to it must be an extraordinary feeling, and that, it must have been an extraordinary feeling when that final wicket fell, um, and that you can sit and chat about it, re-watch it and, and reminisce. Like I, I get, I'm thrilled to listen to you talk about it. It was a freakish game. I can't I can't really say any more than that. There were some unusual dismissals, um, direct hits, which changed the whole momentum of the game. It, it was a beautiful game of cricket where one side would just edge ahead, the other would pull back and vice versa. And it was just ebbing and flowing. It was, it was a purest dream. It wasn't the easiest to captain. And um, I must say that there's times when I had to lean heavily on my, my senior players, you know, the likes of Katrina, Rachel Puller, who were just so exceptional with the ball in hand. Boulder, what a delivery that is. The delay, making Mano wait, the field changing, and what a delivery to produce at exactly the right time. And we relied heavily on um, the likes of, you know, Rebecca Rolls behind the stumps to keep the standards up. There were so many people, everyone played their part. There wasn't any heroes, we were mm. all equal, and we've remained that way ever since. And that's the beauty of it, that it was such a team effort. All the staff off the field, on the field, it was just a great day. And we tossed a coin and we, and we won it right at the death. So, you know, just, just euphoria and, um, and a memory that we, we discuss and really enjoy reveling in when we get the chance. And the crowd here at Lincoln go absolutely berserk. What a moment. 
the crowd running on. I, I know Henry Nichols and the Black Cats has talked about as a kid he was there and running on and, and them charging towards your cat. And it was, was there, it was a little bit of a surreal moment to think, holy heck, we've done this. Yeah, I mean, it was so many emotions. Um, I mean, so many emotions afterwards, I think. In the moment, it was just like, uh, I, I mean, I know I'd lost my voice that that uh, that evening that <laughs> the next day i mean there was just so much to reflect on and so much to talk about and just i mean it was just such a, a an amazing moment it was there was a sense of relief because you know we, we'd worked so hard and we'd we'd always worked hard but we'd always just fallen short i'd played like drummy had said in a previous world cup in 97 where we missed out we you know in the, in the final and we often played most of our international cricket against Australia and they were very tough to beat. So it meant it meant so much. And yeah, just that, that moment with just the joy from the crowd. I mean, honestly, it's still even now, it's um, it's really emotional. Mm. I, even now I still, you know, sometimes, you know, sit back and reflect and you do, you get, a, it gets emotional to, to think that we, that we did that. Um, it was really cool. Mm. I've been flicking through the, the great book that has been written about women's cricket in New Zealand. Very weighty. You don't read it in bed because if you drop it on your nose, you'd break it. Um, the warm <laughs> sun on my face. I'm going to copy of it up, up here. Um, but there's a, a, a little anecdote in there, Katrina, about a song. You had a, a hit song on the radio in Christchurch or in Canterbury, a country song at the, <laughs> at the time. And I, I'm going to need you to explain that better than I can. Oh, yes, indeed. So I Brilliant. did. I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wasn't expecting that. But no, look, I, I sing um, and I've always, I've always enjoyed uh, singing. Funnily enough, um, I had never really had the confidence to do anything with it, which seems like crazy because I seem quite confident, but there you go. Um, so I quietly, you know, I'd sung in a couple of, um, you know, bands in, in Christchurch. The Fab Three was one of them. In fact, Drummy, do you remember the Fab Three? Yes. <laughs> They're all down there on the sidelines celebrating. I mean, that was so cool. It was so cool <laughs> to connect with people outside of your other, you know, your singing or just to have that support. But, um, yeah, I had written a few songs and recorded them because I just decided that's something I wanted to do. And they ended up, um, I think someone at ABC entertainment or somewhere like that in Australia had picked up on them and um, next minute we're looking at me to do some support acts for some you know international like Jean Pitney and Charlie Pride and that's kind of when the, that song came out and and uh, yeah they kind of played it in and around the World Cup I think but yeah. <laughs> well, according to that book, it was it was it played out over the speakers after the, that final wicket, and as the celebrations were happening, you were you're belting out the song around the ground. Oh, yeah, I think I vaguely recall that. We had a team song as well that, that um, played out as well. I think it was a Studio 54 song. But, no, that, that song had been playing on, on local radio, and um, I think it had been... Look, it was one of those cute things where you could ring up and vote for it, and I think my dear grandmother who's since passed away I think she got a bit excited with the voting process and I ended up being number one you're gonna belt out a couple of a couple of lines for us no I'm not <laughs> <laughs> damn it I thought it would be worth asking oh, a weak moment yeah, yeah but, nice but a mate like some of those, well, that book for any cricket fan women's cricket fan um, has got so many great anecdotes but I thought that little gem was uh, one that we had to bring up what about the aftermath Emily like we talked you talked about 
being on, on a bus and in the lead up getting sponsorship and, and being back. What happened afterwards in terms of commercial profile and, and all of that kind of stuff? Well, the profile did increase, no doubt about that. That was a great thing for the game, and, but the, the challenge we had to deal with was the losing of all the experienced mm. players. So we had to bring all these young girls through and the 18, 19, 20, 20-year-olds 20 into the side and um, I was still skipper and, and trying to blood them in and, and expectations were high. Everybody expected us to just to keep that, the, the train going and, and it, was a, it was a tough transition. Um, you know, Australia were hurting a lot from that loss and I, and I think they made us pay for it for a couple of years, but um, definitely the profile did increase and there's more on TV, there was uh, just a bit more expected from us and, and certainly that the profile of those younger players was put into the spotlight, whether they were able to cope with it and deal with it. That was, was tough for them, their expectations have suddenly gone from schoolgirls cricket all of a sudden into the white ferns, first class cricket, probably playing a handful of games and looking like they're going to be a good player and so there's a lot of rebuilding after that um, and plus trying to get them up to speed as fast as possible. So it was a, a two to three year transition to, to get to the point where we were competing on a level that was, was at um, an acceptable level for, for international standard. Mm. Because Katrina, you were one who, you didn't officially retire, Debbie Hockley, Kevin Cameron, you took a break. And I don't know if you ever came back. <laughs> she left, she deserted me. No. She left, left me holding the... <laughs> holding the, the world court. Oh, I think, I think, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't officially retire then. Um, and I guess, I, I guess the door was always probably slightly open. But, um, you know, I think... We just worked so so hard. Uh, I, I just didn't know if I could continue that intensity. You know, mm. at times we were training twice a day, um, often twice a day, and you know, uh, it was just such a commitment. But we were happy to do it as well. Like we wanted to do it for the for, just purely for the love of the game. And I think for me, there was always that desire to make my family proud and and my dad proud. And uh, so it was just real simple. Um, motivations behind playing we we didn't you know we we weren't generating an income from playing we were working full-time or studying um so um and then of course you know it was a uh, focus for me was uh, starting a family as well and my daughters are both um teenagers now if you had to give one piece of advice uh, about winning and what it takes to win a world cup to to sophie divine and the, and the current white fans um team as they prepare over the next year for this tournament what would what would that one one little gem from katrina keenan and each and, and emily drum oh yeah for me i mean accountability this is for me personally and maybe that resonates with some of the current players but you know being being accountable so you know in our preparation for the Cup. We left, honestly, no stone unturned, you know. I mean, in terms of my pace bowling, it was about me being able to bowl a stock ball, shaping away, hitting the top of off, at pace, over the wicket, around the wicket, to a right-handed batsman, to a left-handed batsman. I mean, there's so many skills within the skill. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't, and then and then it was looking at your short ball. It was looking at your your change of pace or your Yorker, and it was that absolute focus and commitment to that that work that I felt 
you know, you can approach a situation with confidence because you've done the work and you're almost on, it's almost, it's like deliberate practice. You're almost on autopilot. It's just there on a cellular level. You've done it so many times. You know, you can trust yourself to do it. And and then the, the mental skills side of things, again, that's a very individual thing, but that was important for me as well. And 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 just having a very clear plan and, and a very quiet mind um, as well. So sometimes that internal dialogue, and especially if you've been on a losing streak, that can really manifest. Sorry, I've given more than one gem. No. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, greedy. I was actually thinking, oh, I'm going to take a quiet mind myself. I've written <laughs> that down. I'll try and shut it up in there a little bit. The perfect little bit. Okay, I'll stop. Okay. Sorry. Emily, one bit of advice for the White Ferns as they go towards the World Cup on home soil. Prepare as best as you can for one-day cricket. Park the T20 mindset and get yourself into the one-day mode because every series the White fans are turning up to now are starting too slowly. So we're winning third game or, or competing in the third game or second game. Have to start the ground running. So preparation is key. Fitness, know your role, belief, and go and perform. Oh, gosh, I could sit and talk to you both for another hour, but you've got to go and do some coaching. You've got to probably go and do another show, and I've got things to do as well. But it has been so fun reminiscing um, about your time in the White Ferns and, and winning that 2000 World Cup and, and what's ahead um, with this one coming. So thank you so much, Katrina Keenan and You're Emily Drummond. It's been a real pleasure. Um, thank you for joining us on The Conversation. You can catch us on Sky Sports. Sky Sports presents all the social media channels and wherever you get your good, all your good podcasts from, and I'll get my words out too. And, of course, the ICC Women's World Cup will be held here in New Zealand March 4th to April 3rd, 2022, all live here on Sky Sport. We absolutely can't wait. And we'll see you next time on The Conversation.